listening to Halford and Bruff. Good morning. Welcome to Halford and Bruff Studio of Fright. Happy Halloween. on a Monday, not just any Monday, it's a Halloween Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy Halloween, everybody. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. Hour two of this program brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler, pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street. In Vancouver. Finally, it is time now to talk a little football with our Monday morning quarterback uh, brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Catch all the action, all the NFL action that is, on 15 screens and two giant projectors at the Clayton Public House. Joining us now to talk about the weekend that was in the National Football League, uh, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. I would love to thank Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers for playing to cover the spread in the second half of their loss to the Bills. So, Jason, oh, that go was ahead. Very frustrating. That was my <laughs> that was my lock of the week. I was frustrated with uh, Josh Allen for being careless with the ball. Even he was saying after the game that you know there's a couple balls that he just didn't need to throw. And I agree with you, Josh. He <laughs> did not need to throw those, allowing the backdoor cover from the Packers. Very very frustrating. Well, I had the backdoor cover, and I was rather excited about it. But the two teams were backwards. The Packers would get the ball, trailing by 17, and like, let's run up the middle uh-huh. over and over again and snap the ball with two seconds left. And then the Bills, winning by 17 in the second half, were like, oh, my God, let's try to score another touchdown, and they would throw an interception. It was opposite land, uh, but it got, it, it got the 10.5-point cover that I needed. I'm sorry you're on the other end of that. Uh, I was I actually watched the Von Miller Miller press media availability after the game last night, and he said he mm-hmm. was he just kept saying how dumbfounded and shocked he was that the Packers kept running the football. Yeah, and he actually said to Aaron Rodgers at one point, he's like, "Are you going to drop back and pass at all?" And then he said, he's <laughs> like, "I can't tell you what Rodgers said to me in in response. I got a feeling right. I know what he said to him in response." But anyway, I want to move. I want to move on. I know that game was the, maybe the marquee yesterday because it was the primetime game, but we need to talk about uh, the Seattle Seahawks and their 27 to 13 victory over the New York Giants, which you described Michael as otherwise known as the triumph of smoke over mirrors. Uh, please explain and tell us what you had. To, I know you talked about it and you wrote about it in the walkthrough as well. Uh, Seahawks 27 Giants 13. I'll say this big win for the Seahawks. It was a big win for the Seahawks. We're now in first place in the NFC West. And, you know, I call it smoke versus mirrors because most of us are looking at the, those two teams saying they both can't be for real. One of them's going to fall off the, uh, you know, fall, fall off the pace. At the same time, both couldn't win and both couldn't lose. And in the first half of that game, it, they kind of look like two sort of weak teams. They did not look like, you know, six and one versus, you know, f- uh, four and three or whatever they were entering the game. Yeah, a lot of punts, a lot of field goals, a lot of mistakes. Then the Seahawks pulled it together and got the plays they needed to, pl- to get. Looked very good on defense, better on defense than they've looked for weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, still controlled the ball on offense, got a huge special teams play, and they pulled away. And on the one hand, it, it was clear that they're a better team than the Giants. I came away from that saying, I know which team is better right now. The question is, which team has better playoff chances? And that's a trickier thing because the Giants sort of had a win to give. They, had, they play in an easier division, and they might have an easier path to the playoffs moving forward. I will say this about the Seahawks. You alluded to the 
defense. And going in, Jason and I were both kind of concerned, not just with Saquon Barkley and you know what he brought to the table, but the fact that the Seahawks had this penchant of getting torn up by individual runners, not being yes. great in the tackling game. They held yeah. Barkley to 53 yards, and he, he got a fair amount. I think he got 20 carries, and he caught the ball three more times. So it wasn't like he didn't have opportunities. Did, did Mike say the NFC East is easier than the NFC West? Are, are we sure about I, that? I said – I said that backwards. I, I should oh, have okay. said it that way. The rest of the Giants' schedule is easier because they've got more weak teams. Because like, they have the, te- the Texans and the Lions on their schedule. So you're right the okay. way you said it, but the overall schedule is different. Sorry about that. No, no, no problem. I just wanted to clarify because it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. confusing. We're looking around at some of the divisions and going, what's going on? Isn't the, wasn't the AFC West supposed to be good? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, exactly. And I got mixed up with that. Yeah, obviously the Eagles and Cowboys are two of the best teams in the – NFL, but the Giants have that last place schedule. They still have those Commanders games, and the Commanders are not good. And again, they're coming up right away. I believe the Giants have by Texans Lions, so mm-hmm. they're going to they're going to be at eight wins. You know, however you slice it, pretty soon. The Seahawks' next game is down in Arizona uh, yes. against uh, I don't know, a struggling Cardinals team that's underachieved this season based on expectations, and then they head to Germany to play. Speaking of underachievers, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. So the Seahawks have opportunities to improve to 7-3 and three before their bye week. And I don't think any of this season really would have been possible without Geno Smith. And yes. we just really need to talk about this guy because I think a lot of people in Seattle are just – and, you know, the Seahawks fans, they, they love the story, but at the same mm-hmm. time they're allowing themselves to admit that they never thought that Geno Smith could be this good. Right. You, for years, fans saw him in preseason games, kind of going out there and doing a lot of nothing in preseason games except holding down the fort a little bit. And, and even during this preseason where he's competing for a job, it's like, yeah, that's fine. And last year when he had his starts, it's like, oh, yeah, he, he's, he's surprisingly effective at just kind of running a short passing game and game managing, and that's fine. We're just seeing a different side of him. Now, I still think there's some helium in Geno Smith. I, I still think that – the Seahawks should be in the market for a quarterback of the future moving forward. But there is a chance that this is one of those historical stories like Rich Gannon, Brad Johnson, Jeff mm. Hostetler. There's a handful of these guys throughout NFL history who come out in their 30s. and I'm like, I'm a different guy now than I was when I started. Well, I didn't get the opportunities I should have gotten because I played for dysfunctional teams when I started. That could be who Geno Smith is. And I don't know how they really proceed at quarterback, but there's a role in the NFL as a starting quarterback Maybe as a bridge, maybe as somebody who's like, you know, wait, you know, while the first-round pick is getting ready, et cetera. But there's a role in years to come for that for Geno Smith. I mean, the situation he's found himself in is almost perfect, to be honest, because there weren't yeah. super high expectations. And right. he's also doing it at a time where the NFC has been turned completely on its head. Like, you think about it right, right. now. The Packers, the Bucks, and the defending Super Bowl champion Rams – all look like they are in a complete tailspin. There's a good chance yeah. that none of them will make the playoffs. And I mentioned this because now I'm wondering, like, you know, Seattle's got this vibe going where it's like, oh, they're five and three. Jason mentioned a couple wins against uh, struggling opponents. They could be seven and three. We talked about the Giants having that one game cushion. Now Philly's already on a rocket ship to first place <laughs> in the NFC. The interesting one for me right now, and I I wanted to ask you about this, is the San Francisco 49ers, because I know you were a touch critical of what they paid to get McCaffrey in the door midseason, but what I saw yesterday was maybe a team 
and a coach that said, we can do a lot of fun things with this guy, including uh, running for touchdowns, catching touchdowns, and throwing for touchdowns. And we're doing it at a time where the NFC is really in a state of flux, and we could get back to maybe the NFC championship game or something like that. That's exactly right. And most importantly, we have a guy who can replace Debo Samuel in the system and do like a thousand weird little things to beat you, and that's McCaffrey. And then when they get both of them, the two of them can can kind of double team on that, and, and like you have no idea where the ball is going to go. It's just only going to go three yards down the field and then run for it. Uh, I think, and DVOA at Football Outsiders thinks the 49ers are the best team in the NFC West. They're a notch above the Seahawks who are climbing the charts, who are climbing the charts rapidly. It's hard to get a it's hard to get a handle on the Seahawks because like I I keep waiting for some of the helium to deflate mm. from Geno Smith. You talked about the defense and how it got gashed in the past from things like penalties, where usually a team is doing really well in the standings. They usually have very low penalties. The Seahawks have very high penalties. That doesn't add up. They're hard to get a handle on. The 49ers are hard to get a handle on because they're never the same team two weeks in a row. Okay, this week it's the McCaffrey team. McCaffrey wasn't there a couple weeks ago. Trey Lance was there a couple weeks ago. Nick Bosa was gone for a couple weeks. Every week it's like a new combination of guys, and they win or lose based on who's available. I think if the 49ers get most of their guys back at the same time, they're the team to beat in the NFC West. They're one of two or three best teams in the NFC. I don't know if we're going to see that for the rest of the season because history tells us all of these guys are going to be in and out of the lineup with injuries because that's who they are and that's who they've always been. We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It's time for our weekly Russell Wilson uh, check-in here. I did not <laughs> I did not wake up early. It's really early out here on the West Coast to watch those London games, so I did not wake up to watch the Broncos beat the Jaguars 21-17 to in London, but a lot of people did, including yourself. What did you see from Russell Wilson and the Broncos, if anything, in a win that they really needed to have just to keep their season on track? They showed me absolutely nothing that I didn't know they'd been capable of the last couple of weeks. Nathaniel Hackett did not coach a particularly good game. He's punting on fourth and inches and taking delay game penalties on fourth and inches, so he has to punt. Uh, you know, uh, Russell Wilson's throwing interceptions and go for balls early in the game. Then he completes his couple of bombs. We know he's got a couple of bombs per game. Even during this slump, he has a couple of bombs per game in him. Gets some to Dulcich, gets some to Hamlet, and they get uh, that out. And I know the Broncos' defense is going to force some turnovers. They've got a lot of studs on that defense. So they go out there, they beat a Jaguars team that was really inflated three, week, you know, three weeks ago. People thought they were good. We're getting a reality here. I know the Broncos can narrowly beat bad teams. I know Russell Wilson can do it. I know Hackett can do it. That's not going to get them anywhere in the AFC. That's not going to get them anywhere with this new ownership that's looking at Hackett and saying, well, are we just going to punt on this guy? So all that really happened on Sunday morning was that Hackett saved his job for a couple of months. Otherwise, we're still in the same flux with Wilson and the weird stories about his flighty behavior and the very inconsistent play and with a head coach that no one seems to have any confidence in that he has any idea what he's doing. Trevor Lawrence did have an opportunity to be the hero uh, in London, yeah. and he quickly threw an interception on his potential <laughs> uh, game-winning yep. drive. Uh, where is Trevor Lawrence right now in his development as an NFL quarterback? We're talking about a former first overall pick. A lot of people, I don't know if sure thing was thrown around, mm-hmm. but pretty close mm-hmm. to it. Now, has he had a chance in the Jaguars organization to develop into – a good uh, starting quarterback. Um, where is he right now? You, you know, the traits of a really good starting quarterback are there. When you watch him, you can see it. And yet, you talk about that interception. Interception at the goal line, 
yesterday when they could have scored a touchdown, takes an intentional grounding when they could have kicked a field goal, knocks them out of field goal range. You keep seeing mistakes like this. And a lot of my friends were like, Trevor Lawrence, he's going to be a stud this year. Guys who really analyze game film and everything, he's going to be a stud. You just wait and see. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can believe that because he was amazing at Clemson. And people said, last year doesn't count. Last year doesn't count with Urban Meyer running around kicking players and getting lap dances. That doesn't count because this is really Trevor Lawrence's rookie year. That's not how it works. Trevor Lawrence was getting bad coaching for a year with a bad team. He was kind of out there guessing on his own what to do. He was taking a ton of sacks. He was always on the run. So he was having like mistakes and, and, and uh, you know, rookie mistakes that promulgated and propagated, and he wasn't getting good coaching to get out of that. So right now I worry Trevor Lawrence is a guy who was damaged so much by his year of Urban Meyer and just go out there and do whatever and we're going to lose the game, that as he's trying to pull out of it, it's very slow to pull out of it, and there's no guarantee that he really takes that step that he needs to take to be a true franchise quarterback. Uh, I unfortunately watched bits and pieces of the Patriots Jets game over the weekend. If only, you know, like uh, I was, I knew Bill Belichick was going to pass George Hallis for second all time in coaching wins. And that drew was, you in, huh? I was like, oh, I love Bill. I love when he passes another coaching mark. But it was more about Look how happy he is. It was more about um, watching the New York Jets to see at one if this is going to be at all for real. And then two, to see if they could keep winning games with Zach Wilson playing so poorly. It was bad. And Mac Jones was bad, and the quarterback play was really poor. Uh, I am wondering if these two coaches, Bill Belichick and Robert Sala, uh, have to make some sort of decision about the direction they're going to go behind center because it was ugly to watch throughout. Every time the red zone zipped back there, I was like, oh, God, we got to watch this again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it was tough watching in real time, play by play by play, because it was brutal. Two different flavors of brutal quarterbacking play: the guy who just stood there and took sacks, versus the guy who ran around in circles like a goofball and then just heaved the ball over his shoulder for interceptions. And I, yeah, I kind of wanted Bailey Zappi to come in for both teams and be the steady quarterback. Uh, not that Zappi is that good, but I just wanted to see something different. Both teams do have a little bit of a crossroads at quarterback. I mean, the Patriots had some success with Bailey Zappi. If you stayed up Monday Night Football last week, you realize that was starting to run its course uh, by the second half against the Bears. And I think the Jets know they have a problem. They know that with Joe Flacco out there earlier in the season, they were more consistent on offense. Um, And they've got some other guys. They could throw Flacco out there, although we know there's a real limit to what that accomplishes. They've got Chris Streveler on their bench, who looked really good in the preseason. Neither of these teams can come out of this season unless something turns around saying, yeah, our guy that we drafted last year is our quarterback of the future. There's no way that, that either guy has shown enough evidence of that, even with Jones's hot streak last year. They've got to be realistic about it if they want to move forward. And the Jets in, the, in particular, they could be a playoff team this year. A playoffs would mean a lot to them. They've got to figure out how to get this done over the next couple of weeks. Because if Wilson goes out there against the Bills and plays like that, he's going to throw 25 interceptions next week. Mike, thanks a lot for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy Monday Night Football tonight. We barely even mentioned it today. There's so much going on with Halloween and whatnot. But enjoy Monday Night Football. We'll do this again next Monday. Absolutely. Take care and happy Halloween, everyone. Yeah, happy Halloween. Thanks, Mike. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So I was going down a road there at the very end uh, with Mike about the quarterback position because um, I don't know how much of that game you watch. Hopefully none because it's very hard on the eyes. It was, the, was on the Jets and the Patriots. It was no, gross. I didn't watch any of it. Okay, so uh, Mac Jones bad, Zach Wilson bad. Um, the Tennessee Titans on the weekend because Tannehill was sick. They mm-hmm. started Malik Willis. Mm-hmm. How did he look? Awful. Right. 
awful, awful. Uh, the Indianapolis, like, like not, not like, like I don't think you. They won, mm-hmm. but it's because Derrick Henry ran wild. I think Malik Willis finished with fifty-five passing yards. Okay, I uh, threw he threw a pick early. It kind of set the tone. Um, we saw in Indianapolis they had made the change to Sam Erlinger. Ellinger, don't even know, don't really care. The bigger point is that, and you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. Just in the AFC alone, there's a lot of teams that have taken a look at their young quarterbacks, and the answer is like, that's not good. I only mention this because Nathan Rourke made his return for the British Columbia Lions on Friday in a very limited body of work where a lot of people were waiting to see uh, what he was going to look like returning from the Liz Frank surgery and a major foot injury. And then what the prognostications and, you know, how are the Lions going to look when they have this big home playoff game against the Stamps? Yeah, and and uh, the Nathan Rourke return certainly wasn't perfect. It wasn't that bad either, though. Um, you know, the one thing about Nathan Rourke is he gets the ball away quickly. Um, I don't know how limited his mobility is going to be, but his mobility was one of the – is one of the big advantages to his game, and I just don't know how mobile he's going to be against the Calgary Stampeders. But from what I saw of him against the Bombers, and yeah, there there was a fumble, mm-hmm. and yeah, his mobility didn't look outstanding, but what I saw of him, I would rather have Nathan Rourke start the game than Vernon Adams. So Yeah, well, you know why? I think the big thing, and you mentioned it, he, the way he gets the ball out quickly, mm-hmm. just g- other guys just can't simply do it. Like Adams has a lot of traits as a quarterback. Uh, being able to sit in the pocket and sling it, that really quick release, he doesn't have it. And yeah. with Rourke in this offense, we talked about it with Moj early in the season when he was lighting it up. A lot of plays were how quickly can you get the ball into the hands of your playmakers, Burnham and Whitehead and everybody else. And Rourke did a really good job of it. It was the thing with the debut or re-debut or whatever you want to call it against Winnipeg. (laughs) The return. Yeah, is that it was short. It was three drives, I think, and there was a fumble, but they got a field goal, but they weren't going to put him in harm's way. Hopefully he was able to knock some rust off against a Bombers team that played really well and a Bombers team that is clearly the class of the CFL. I just want to see the Lions get an opportunity to play the Bombers in Winnipeg for a chance to go to the Grey Cup in Regina. I think that would bring uh, a lot of attention, positive attention to the team. And that, of course, would mean that they got to beat the Stamps on Sunday afternoon. one thirty start if you want to go down there. I hope they get a good crowd to go see this game because you got a home playoff game against the Calgary Stampeders team that the Lions do not like. And the feeling is mutual from the Stampeders. Uh, they've had some very entertaining games this season, and hopefully they have another one on Sunday. And hopefully Nathan Rourke is a big part of it in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to mention a little bit more about the Seahawks because uh, this has been such an unexpected story um, around the league from us. I mean, harken back to the days when we were saying, well – I hope the Seahawks win one game this season. I hope they beat Denver and Russell Wilson in week one. And then they did beat Denver. And we were kind of like, well, I guess guess I'll keep watching. And the underdog story is always appealing. And that's what the Seahawks are right now. Geno Smith is the ultimate underdog. Mm -hmm. People laughed at him. They thought he was washed. People were making comments like, Geno Smith is still in the NFL? Yeah, 
He is. And the advantage for Geno Smith, too, is he's got some pretty great receivers to throw the ball to. Now, Tyler Lockett had a bit of a tough one yesterday. He had a bad fumble uh, right around the Seahawks goal line that allowed the Giants to get a touchdown. He had an easy catch for a touchdown. Geno Smith threw him an absolute dime. And it somehow hit off, I think it hit off Tyler Lockett's face mask. And he dropped the ball. But he did bounce back, made a great move to get open again later in the game. Caught a touchdown pass. Another great pass from Geno Geno Smith. Mm -hmm. And that drive that ended in the Tyler Lockett touchdown was incredible. Like, that was what you get when you have a really good quarterback. Mm -hmm. And that's what Geno Smith is playing like right now. A really good quarterback. And on top of all that... The Seahawks' defense is starting to turn things around. They did this last season. I remember when Brady Henderson came on our show. He's our Seahawks reporter from ESPN, and he said, well, you know, the Seahawks turned the defense around a little bit last last season. I was kind of like, they're not doing it this season. Like, there's no chance they're doing it. Like, did you see what Taysom Hill mm-hmm. just did to the Seahawks? He just took the ball, and he's like, I'm going to run it for a touchdown. And it looked so dire that they were throwing around words like embarrassing. And I remember Ryan Neal went up there and Mm -hmm. said, guys, there's a legacy that we have to protect in Seattle. And I was kind of like, those are just words. Like, they don't have the personnel right now to play good defense. Last three games, they played good defense. Now, is it perfect? No, it's not. It was a little frustrated to see Daniel Jones uh, completing passes on multiple third and longs for for first downs. But overall, at the end of the day, it was the Seahawks defense that came up big against Saquon Barkley. It was the Seahawks defense that was racking up sacks. I think they finished with five sacks. The special teams were good, creating turnovers. Pete Carroll, in his press conference after that game, was glowing. He was like a giddy little kid. He was talking about how the Seahawks in all three phases were good. He just couldn't say enough good things about this team. I hope they're able to go down to Arizona and get a win. I hope they're able to go to Germany and beat Tampa Bay Mm -hmm. and the struggling Buccaneers. We all know it's been a nightmare season for Tom Brady. The Seahawks and the BC Lions this season have really been a bright spot in the market. What do both have in common? Outstanding quarterback play. It's crazy that I'm referring to uh, Geno Smith as outstanding. But it is. The numbers are not... You're always a qualifier. Like, it's good for what he's supposed to do or good for a game manager or good for Geno Smith. No. Geno is completing passes. He could, 74% completion percentage. 74. But that's his key, right? Like, he, he doesn't... He doesn't... Uh... But the key is that he's still doing it every time they game plan against him. We're going to take away these short and intermediary passes. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, now he can throw the ball deep. That's right. That's big too, right? The one, it, it's yeah. not. It's not just him anymore. Just dumping the ball off. Like you can rack up a a high completion percentage if you're just throwing screens all day, right? He, now he, he's he, starting to stretch the field. Well, and that that's the interesting thing here is that when they game plan for taking away the short to intermediary, he's like, no, I can throw this. And then you kind of remember how good a deep threats Lockett and Metcalf can be, right? And Lockett in particular had a tough start, great finish to the game. Geno sixth in the NFL with 11, 11 passing touchdowns. I mean, it is, it is, it is. I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but he should get some MVP consideration. He should at least get a nod from some of the voters that this team is first place in their division. 
this team is uh, on a trajectory to make the playoffs, and they're doing it with a 32-year-old journeyman who, by the way, got a nice little measure of revenge against the Giants on the weekend. I know he didn't want to talk about it, but the, what happened to him in New York, a lot of bad things, obviously, but he was the guy that uh, when McAdoo was the coach that got thrown into the starting lineup to basically say, Eli, you're no longer the starter right. here. Yeah. And everyone said, well, that's fine if Eli's not the starter. But Geno Smith ain't the answer, and he took a bunch of like criticism for mm-hmm. why are they doing this with Geno? Why are they using Geno just to end Eli's career? And then Eli came back in the starting line. Anyway, point being, couldn't happen to a better guy in a better season with a better story. And the Geno Smith thing is super cool, man, because Bruff and I kind of get jaded sometimes about sports. Like We've seen it. We've seen it all. We've been doing this for a long time. We know how these things are going to work. I this was completely out of the blue. I did not see a single prediction. I did not see a single person say that Geno Smith was going to be one of the best five quarterbacks <laughs> in the NFL this season. But that's exactly what he's been. And it's coming a year where Aaron Rodgers has not been great. Tom Brady's been really bad. And Matthew Stafford has not been good. If you're in the NFC right now and you've got, I don't know, a 500 or better record, you might be thinking, like, we've got a chance to get to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's obvious that Dallas and San Francisco probably have right now the highest expectations. No disrespect to Philly, um, but well, actually, Philly's probably got the uh, expectations right now, like Super Bowl expectations right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Dallas and San Francisco have so much invested in this season yep. that if they don't do something in the playoffs, that it's going to be a massive disappointment. Uh, the Seahawks right now are playing with house money, but I hope I hope they can keep it going. Uh, we'll return to the hockey talk and the Canucks talk in the next segment. So any texts you want to send in to the Dunbar Lumber text line, uh, um, comments, questions, send them in right now. We'll also look around the rest of the NHL. We're going to talk about a bit about these Leafs, but not because they're winning, because they're losing, and that's always fun. Columbus. The team of the offseason, or one of the teams of the offseason, signing Johnny Gaudreau, they are a disaster right now. And is there a goaltending controversy in Edmonton? We'll look into those topics coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. If you're going through Surrey, a police incident has 80th Avenue blocked off between 176 and 172nd. You could take 88th as an alternate route. A stall is northbound midspan on the Alex Fraser Bridge in the counterflow lane. And then there is another stall northbound at Cliveden. In Vancouver, a crash is 1st Avenue at Nanaimo scene delays all directions. Specsavers is opening soon at Meadowtown Centre and Pitt Meadows. Get two pairs of glasses from just $99. Limited time offer. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. In the City News 1130 Air Patrol, I'm Don Powers. North Star Metal Recycling at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. They recycle, you get paid. The question many have is what are acceptable items to bring to their metal recycling facility. Well, here's a few of them, things you might have around your place. Household appliances, batteries, radiators, vehicle rims, electric motors. If you've got any of this stuff and you want to know if you can bring it, uh, don't take my word for it and don't ask me. Go to 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. That's North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. It's Black Friday. Get it now at Visions Electronics with early Black Friday deals throughout the store. Save on everything. 
Bueno, aquí viene Segras con el disco. Segras. ¡Hace el tiro! Trevor Segras le da victoria a los Ducks de Anaheim por marcador final de 4 a 3. 7.35 on a Monday, Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Happy Halloween, everybody. Laddie, what was that we were listening to coming back from break? That was a Spanish call of the Leafs losing to the Anaheim Ducks last night in overtime. So, the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, now that the Canucks are back and they're awesome at hockey again and they're winning all their games. So good. Right? I don't know. They'll, if never, they'll probably never lose again. This, I mean, they've won two in a row. Yeah. Right? So. And the next one will be three in a row, right? That's yeah. math. I can do math. Uh, it's time to look at some other teams that stink. We don't stink anymore. Let's go look <laughs> at some other teams that stink. Toronto Maple Leafs, they stink. I love, I love a, a Leafs losing streak more than I'm angered by a Leafs winning streak. Because when the Leafs are winning, and it's, you're going to get the content crammed down your throats anyway, right? It's the reaping and sowing meme. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks. I hate it. Um, you, when they're winning, it's like everyone's lauding. It's like, uh, is Austin Matthews going to go in the Hall of Fame before he retires? Like that kind of thing, right? It's these <laughs> unbelievable conversations. But now when they lose, everyone picks apart everything so thoroughly and so critically. And it's chef's kiss, right? But, so, they, but they deserve to be picked apart Yes, right exactly. Now. They were picking but, apart the timeout that Keith took yes. late in the game. Saying nobody, gl- was, nobody was listening to him. Nobody was watching him. Mm-hmm. It's glorious. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Yes. It's, it's one of my favorite things to watch is the Leafs collapse, so, seeing all the... Talk the, around that. The Leafs are four, four, and two, and it seems like every loss of theirs has been kind of a big deal. Remember, they start the season in Montreal. They lost four, three. Uh, the Habs won it late in the game, and afterwards, Sheldon Keefe was talking about how sloppy the hockey was. Now they did bounce back with a couple wins, but then they lost at home to Arizona, and I think when they did that, it was like, oh boy. We could be in for a shaky, bumpy start to the Leaf season because after that one, Sheldon Keefe, the head coach, called out his elite players and said they didn't play like elite players against the Arizona Coyotes. He basically said, Toronto has elite players. Arizona doesn't. Our elite players need to play like elite players. And then he walked that statement back because I guess Mitch Marner was upset by it. Then, and he then he walked, walked back, back walked another back. statement, but I'm, and then he said, you know, it's about managing the media or, or something like that. So it just goes to show you that the media and all the attention on this Leafs team is definitely getting to this Leafs team. Um, they did bounce back after the Arizona Coyotes um, loss, and they had a good win over Dallas. That was the uh, Robertson game, Nick versus Jason, and Nick ended up being the better player in that one. Uh, They beat Winnipeg, but then they head out on this Western road trip to Nevada and California, and it was bad. It was a disaster. They got thoroughly outplayed in Vegas, and the Golden Knights, man, that's a good team right now. Jack Eichel, did you see his overtime winner yesterday, Laddie? It was pretty impressive. It's a very selfish play. He didn't pass it once (laughs) on that entire play. Uh, And then they go to San Jose, bad team, lose to them in overtime. Go to L.A., lose 4-2 in regulation. And then last night they had a 3-1 lead over Anaheim, and it looked like they were going to at least finish this California road trip with a positive. They found a way to blow it. Mm -hmm. The Ducks tied it. They almost won it, I saw. There was a goal that got called off because of goalie interference. Late yeah, in the, the game Ducks as well. nearly won it in regulation. 
but then they ultimately did win it in overtime. And Mitch Marner is a real talking point right now because I guess Sheldon Keefe gave him the business on, on the bench, was pointing at him and saying that it's your turnovers that is the reason why the Ducks have tied this game up. And then Mitch Marner left the bench purportedly to go back and I guess break his stick or something, have a little temper tantrum out of the scene of the cameras. But it was very obvious, like, you know, like when a player gets up from the bench and leaves, especially if it's Mitch Marner, all the cameras are going to be on it. And then he comes back later. And anyway, not going well. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was not that. (laughs) So Mitch Marner in overtime has a great chance to win the game for the Leafs. But John Gibson makes a great save on him. And then Trevor Zegers goes back on a two-on-one the other way. Not right after that, but eventually. And the Ducks win the game. And the Leafs are flying home. That's a long flight back to Toronto. Yep. To think about four straight losses for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we've got some Mitch Marner audio. And <laughs> let's just play the Mitch Marner audio because he's definitely got like this attitude. It seems to be this attitude that everyone's out to get us. And granted, we are. Yeah. Well, he's right. For not- sure. He's right about that. He ain't wrong. But he's kind of got a like uh everyone's trying to hurt us vibe. And I don't know if the fans of Toronto are gonna really love what Mitch Marner had to say here. You know, we started off a lot worse last year and everyone tried to put, you know, shambles in our brains, so it's not gonna happen with us. Um, you know, we're getting to go back home now. Um, it's time to regroup, um, rethink and you know, just make sure uh, we get some good practices in us here and um, make sure we're ready to go for the next one. Sounds like they were successful putting the shambles in his brain. I hate it when people put shambles in my brain. What are shambles in the brain? Everyone tried to put, you know, shambles in our brains. I kind of want to use it now, moving forward. Sorry, I got shambles in my brain. Say that again. (laughs) It's Monday. I got shambles brain. (laughs) Shambles. They got me. Anyway, uh, so the the other story with Marner and Keith yesterday was that uh, in the midst of this little temper tantrum he had off camera, Keith benched Marner. Which everyone was like, good, he's sending a message. But then he quickly unbenched Marner because, as you mentioned, he had a, a chance in, in overtime. So people are saying, where's the accountability? Why are we holding Mitch Marner to a higher standard? So there's that going on, which is great. I love it when – Do you think Keefe's going to last the season? No, I don't think I don't think he is no. either. I, I think that's a Barry Trotz job real quick. He, just, seems, he seems to just be like holding on. <laughs> that I, whole thing after the Arizona loss was just so weird. I don't think – He's got a great relationship with the players right now. Which is funny because he was supposed to be the antidote to Mike Babcock. He was supposed mm-hmm. to be more of a player's coach than Babcock. I think anyone's more of a player's coach than and Babcock. And they're like, this guy sucks. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, I don't like him. Can, can they well, stop playing Shalgren? Like, what? Come on. Shalgren? Like, what? Okay, well, that's another issue that they've got. Is yeah. The goaltending isn't very good. Well, the defense isn't very good either. That's another issue that they've got is the defense isn't very good. And by extension, with the Sheldon Keefe still having his job, Everyone knows that he's Kyle Dubas's guy, right? And Kyle Dubas has built this roster, including a defense that desperately needs someone. There was a story written and published on sportsnet.ca after the Canucks acquired Ethan Bear. Because I think a lot of people in Toronto were like, why didn't the Leafs get Ethan Bear? Yeah. It's a fifth-round draft pick. Surely the Leafs could have... Uh, bucked up a fifth-round draft pick, but apparently they didn't want to. I guess they've already traded away quite a few of their draft picks, but like people are desperate 
for something to change on the Leafs blue line. The, it's not good enough right now. If the, you look at it, it's not very good. The Bear to Toronto. Uh, Ethan Bear, not Carlton. The Bear. Bear to Toronto. Rumors were out there. Um, and it just was one of those things where a lot of fans were saying, hey, uh, we're in win now mode. This team is designed to win right now. All due respect to the fifth round pick it would have cost you down the road. Maybe even up the ante a little bit to get a guy in that we think can play because the defense isn't very good. I also want to add this from last night because a lot of people were pointing this out in the aftermath as well. Toronto got all kinds of breaks in that game. It wasn't like they didn't have not just the opportunities to win it, but they got the Refereeing, goal. Yeah. Well, the goalie interference call. I've, I watched it like five times. It's Adam Henrique. Uh, it was a front, weird one. In front, it wasn't that weird. He was outside the crease. But he they was, were pushing and shoving. It was two guys that were battling for position. But okay, this is almost re- removal from the Leafs getting a, a, a f- favorable call. You, th- we have no idea what is goalie interference and what isn't. The only thing we kind of know is like, well, the 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 part outside of the blue ice. In front of that, the white ice, that's the forward's ice. He can be there. The blue ice is goalie ice, white ice, forward ice. So I watched it in real time, and all Henrik is doing is battling for the puck. Does he lodge? Was it uh, was it Engvall? I don't even remember who it was in front of the net. Does he hold the player and prevent him uh, from moving out of Shalgren's way? For sure. But that's what the forward's supposed to do. He's supposed to. That's his ice right there. So the Leafs got that call. They also got a penalty shot in the third period. On they they did a frame by frame of a a ducks forward going in in a similar fashion on a breakaway mm-hmm. and getting hacked on the hands in a similar fashion. No penalty shot, right? But the Leafs got one. So now you've got the added media element of where a lot of the reporters are saying not only does this team stink, but they're be given opportunities to win games that they probably shouldn't, and they can't even do it because Anaheim's terrible. Anaheim lost seven games in a row going into that game against the Leafs last night. Well, the Leafs may be struggling, but not as badly as the Columbus Blue Jackets, who have lost their last three games 6-3 to Arizona, which you don't want to do, 4 nothing to Boston, and on Sunday, 7-1 to the New Jersey Devils. The Devils, by the way, are the Canucks' next opponent. Tuesday at Rogers Arena, the Devils are playing some good hockey. But the Blue Jackets are not. They're now 3-7-0. And remember the last time we focused on the Blue Jackets, it was when the Canucks played them back on October 18th. The, it was the battle of the teams that hadn't won. The Canucks then played another battle of the teams that hadn't won in Minnesota and lost that one. The Canucks lost that one 4-3 in overtime. They should have won the game, though. Yes. They had a multi-goal lead in Columbus. And that was the game that Johnny Gaudreau scored that tying goal. And Spencer Martin probably should have saved it. He probably should have done better on it. It was a wraparound goal. Spencer Martin got a little aggressive, bit badly on the fake, and Gaudreau scored. Now, easy save for Luongo, though. Easy save for Luongo. Yeah. Not so much for Tim Thomas. Tim no. Thomas probably wouldn't have stopped that either because he's very aggressive. There were all sorts of issues before Spencer Martin had to make that decision. Uh, it was a bad line change by the Canucks. Their defensemen, you know, were I think they hit each other. It was it was bad, but things were weren't going very well for the Vancouver Canucks back then. Um, in Columbus, obviously they went into the season with excitement. I don't know about expectations. I don't know high expectations, but excitement that Johnny Gaudreau chose them. Mm-hmm. Now they're looking at this team that's three, seven and zero, and I don't know what their goal differential is, but it's got to be bad 
because their last three games they've been outscored seventeen to four. They're bleeding goals, bleeding chances. The crazy, the craziest stat in all of it, though, is you're looking at. Well, defensively, they're awful. They don't have a power play goal this year. Oh, for twenty five. Twenty five on the power play. We go crazy here when the like. And granted, the Canucks PK was god awful to start yeah. the year. But if could you imagine if the Canucks at this stage of the season didn't have a single power play goal and were zero for twenty five, we would be apoplectic. We'd be losing our minds. And that would be the talking point. What are the Canucks going to do to score on the power play? How many different ways can we ask Bruce Boudreaux about the power play? Who's coaching the power play? Is it Jason King? Why is it not better? We would have all those questions out there. And what makes it crazier in Columbus is the addition that they had. Johnny Gaudreau would theoretically make that unit better. Pretty creative player. And they've got Patrick Lino, though. He's hurt for a while. Do you think when they finally score one, the cannon will just fire repeatedly? For all the missed attempts, like what? I don't even know what you. What <laughs> it's do you possible. do? Possible. backfire. Uh-oh. What do you even do at that point? Like you have to celebrate, but you can't go crazy, right? <laughs> like you have to. You have to be like, okay, we. Should, but you, it'll be like it'll be. Remember when the Canucks won their first game? Everyone was pretty happy, right? Yeah. So, Although a lot of people walked off when bunch GT of Bronx won. cheers, probably. I imagine. <laughs> I don't so know. we have some. We have some sad audio to play. Sad Elvis Merzlikens, who is two four and zero for the Blue Jackets, and has a save percentage of. 864, which is not a very good save percentage. <laughs> and I should preface this audio is from before the 7-1 to one loss to New Jersey. Okay. And that's This is how sad they were before giving up. Here, come, here comes the sadness. Yeah, I did not have the start of the season how I wanted. And I don't need anybody else to tell me what to do. I know what to do. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I sucked. I know that. But Right now, here, it's all about us. We need to get out of this together. It's not about goaltending. It's not about defensemen. It's not about forwards. It, it's all about us together. He has socked, and he will continue to sock. What did he say? Seven <laughs> goals <socked>. against. <laughs> seven goals against uh, in New Jersey. Again, this Devils team, if they get the goaltending, this is one of the more improved teams in the NHL, it feels like they're rounding into form and the Canucks will see them Tuesday at Rogers Arena. Okay, a few of you have texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line and asked about this major announcement or major press conference that the Canucks are going to be holding at Rogers Arena at 2.30. Mike and I haven't been told anything about this. Um, from what's being reported, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a uh, – player related thing like it's not Bo Horvat signing a contract that we all know that signings don't go down like that right if it was Bo Horvat signing a contract extension the insiders would have it already because the agent would have let it fly he's right right it's a a trade yeah it's it's not (laughs) it's it's it I don't think it has anything to do player related um I have an inkling of what it is I'm 99% sure I know what it is, but I'm not going to say it because I'm not 100%. I don't have any confirmation on you it. Tease. But I think it's a business-related thing. And you, so, jinx, you jinx it by saying it, so better not say anything. You know, That's if, how it works. If there's one thing. Jinx or get fired. Yeah. Well, probably both. <laughs> yeah. if there's In one, that order. If there's one thing that we have at the Halford and Bruff Show, it's journalistic integrity. We don't like 
to run with stories until we got them 100%. Even though I'm pretty sure we were like borderline, like, eh, I saw something on Reddit the other day. Should we talk about it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but oh other than that, oh we are dedicated, dedicated to the highest standards of journalistic integrity. Um, I think, personally, it's going to be a Halloween-related announcement, right? Like, yeah, it's right. going to be, we're going to, yeah, we're yeah, having... Yeah. We're having a spooky day here at the arena. And he's going to do a spooky voice on the PA for the next connection. But again, that, again, I don't want to run with that because I don't have it sourced quite yet. Rutherford I, comes out in costume. So <laughs> I, I, I saw think? on Twitter someone suggested that uh, Rip the dog maybe has a Halloween costume and yep. they, they, they wanted to show him off. Imagine yep. if that actually was what it was. <laughs> Come on, we boy. have the goodest boy here. Everyone's here. Ready to Greatest show press conference ever. <laughs> I would be so impressed with them. Yeah. The Everyone's like, I'm not even mad we came out for this. This is amazing. You know what? Two, five, and two. Don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. So far, this season has been great. Look at the little dog. He's in a pumpkin. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> so, there is, so there is a major press conference, uh, 2.30 today at Rogers Arena. Um, we haven't been told what it is. We have an inkling of what it is. But you're just going to have to wait, probably. Um, the Canucks this week, three more home games. Mm-hmm. Tuesday against New Jersey, Thursday against Anaheim, and Saturday against Nashville. We have tickets to give away for every one of those games, by the way. So it's great. Two pairs today, one tomorrow, one Thursday, one Friday. It's pretty rad. I'm not going to lie. We don't there's actually giveaways a, a lot. There's a bunch of stuff to go to this week in Vancouver. There's three Canucks games, and then, of course, Sunday. You got the BC Lions hosting the Calgary Stampeders in a playoff game Sunday, one thirty, at BC Place. Uh, the Canucks have obviously opportunities to win some games on this homestand. If you're a playoff team, all your home team, all your home games should be winnable games or opportunities. Um, the Canucks have only won one of their first three at Rogers Arena. New Jersey will be a tough opponent. Anaheim, not so much. But Anaheim, look what they did to Toronto. Yeah, they're rolling right now. <laughs> they're rolling right They've now. They've won one. They've won one in a row. And then Saturday is the Nashville Predators, and the Preds have kind of scuffled a little bit. They haven't been great. They, they haven't been great. Um, once the Canucks are done with this homestand, they head back east for an Eastern Canada road trip through Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto. I think they might finish it off back-to-back Toronto and Boston but I'm not 100% sure about that. I don't have mm-hmm. the schedule right in front of me. Um, again, though, like we've been talking about this, it was a great performance on Friday, and that followed up a win over Seattle. And the Seattle win was good because it was a win, but it wasn't an impressive performance. Maybe it was gritty and gutsy. Mm-hmm. JT Miller blocking shots, three fights, but the Canucks didn't play well against the Kraken. They played well against the Penguins, and I really hope that with that performance, a few days off, they can regroup, have some good feelings, because apparently this team needs good vibes in order to win games, and really start rattling some wins off. Because I want to put this hole that the Canucks have dug behind us as quickly as possible. Sure. Remember last season. It was, what, 22 games in? Something along those lines? Before Bruce Boudreaux was brought in? So there wasn't... there was. There was a lot of the season left, don't get me wrong, but the hole they had built was going to take a long, long time to dig out of. The Canucks can do it a bit quicker this time around, but it's a big if. They've got to put consistent games together. 
they can't just say, well, we played well against Pittsburgh. I'm sure we'll play well again. One of the things that Bruce Boudreaux said earlier in the season, and I thought this was a pretty smart thing, is that sometimes when you struggle out of the gates, you learn right away that you need to play with good habits in order to win games. And once you start winning some games with those good habits, maybe that will carry on with you for the rest of the season. House of positivity, attitude, sure. But we'll take it at this point. Uh, Coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, Ian McIntyre, iMac, is going to join us as we continue the Canucks conversation on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. After iMac, we are going to do some What We Learns. We are going to give away not one but two pairs of tickets to the best What We Learn submissions. Hashtag them WWL, add the ticket emoji, and text it to 650-650. You are listening to Sportsnet 650.